Come to Talk Therapy CBT, a conversation about educating, helping, and connecting individuals to the world of psychology. This podcast is supported and produced by Inner Balance Psychology Center. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Raffa, and join with me is my co-host, Anthony Dana. Hi, Anthony. How are you doing today? Good. Today's topic, we often talk about different topics we're going to focus on in future shows. And when you brought this one up to me, I knew this would be a good one for two reasons. One, you seemed extra enthusiastic about talking about it, more so than the other topics. And that's not to say that you were enthusiastic about those as well, but that was one reason. The other reason is, you know, I try to be a student of life and a student of myself. And I always try to learn about both each day. With the other topics that we've discussed on the show, I recognize a few things about couples therapy, about birth order. Uh, but with mindfulness and meditation, I know nothing, John Snow. So I am totally... I knew. Yeah, so be patient with me today. But I'm looking forward to this and it's going to be fun. Okay, well, that helps give me kind of an insider background into what your background is. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'm going to start the show with my quote today. Right. And we're going to uh, also have your quote today. Yeah, this is a new thing we're going to do. I was like, you know what? We should each have a quote and then we can both like kind of bounce each quote back and forth and just, uh, you know, see what the other thinks about the other quote. Yeah. We're always trying stuff on as a behavioral experiment, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is my quote for today. The best way to capture moments is to pay attention. This is how we cultivate mindfulness. And that is a quote by John Kabat-Zinn. Okay. So what are your thoughts on this quote, Anthony? Something that my grandmother and my mother used to always instill in me, that if you don't appreciate today, you're going to miss it. And I think of things that I can relate to, like being in the moment as opposed to being so excited about the future, and you can be excited about the future, it's, and that's a good thing. We're dwelling too much on the past. Those two things are dangerous if you do them too much, because then you're going to miss what's going on right before your eyes, not appreciate it, and not recognize it. I think of, I'm guilty of this. I try to check myself, and I, I notice that, you know, when I watch old videos of my children, you know, when they're like four and say, or five and two, and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, and I think most parents can relate. I wish they were young, like, I miss those days, and, you know, wow, those days are gone, and they're not that age anymore, and that, they were so much fun, and, and I obsess on that, and then I look in the room, and I see my 14-year-old son and my 11-year-old daughter, and I need to understand that, well, in about 10 years, when they're 24 and 21, I'm going to look back and say, boy, I wish they were 14 and 11 again. Time flies so much. So that's what I get from that quote. Okay. Yeah, very relative to your life, right? So it's this concept of paying attention in the moment. And people don't always know what that means. Well, I do pay attention, but this is a different kind of attention. Okay. So there's lots of different ways to do that with using your five senses. And, you know, it's a practice of paying attention. So we can appreciate the moment. Um, and when people have anxiety, they're very future-oriented, worried about the what-ifs, worst-case scenarios, those types of things, catastrophizing. And then when people are depressed, they ruminate about the past and their shoulds and often feel guilty, and they don't really stay in the moment, basically. So that's pretty much what it means, and that is what mindfulness is, and it's a practice, just like most other things. It's a practice, just like a language or lifting weights. You're not just going to be you know, bulky from lifting weights one time. You have to practice to get better at it. But the mind's like a muscle, right? Right. Exactly. Okay. All right. So, yes, I think we're spot on with that. Okay. So, what's your quote, sir? I have two quotes, but I'm allowed to because one of them we stole from you. <laughs> okay. So, the more I kept thinking about it, the more I, I appreciated it is this one. The present moment is the only time in which we have dominion. And this is from, I apologize if I butcher his name, Fitch Nat Han. And he is a 
Vietnamese monk, and I looked him up, and he is very much alive. Mm. Which um, the older I get, the more I appreciate <laughs> from different people. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's 94 years old. God bless him. So, um, and then I'm like, all right, I'm looking at the quote. The present moment is the only time in which we have dominion. I've heard that term before. I watch college basketball, and there's old dominion. And di- what dominion? What exactly does the word really, really mean? So I looked it up, and dominion. Ruling or controlling power, and then under the control of a ruler, domain. So what? how I interpret this is that the present moment is the only time that you are in power, in dominant, so to speak. Right. Okay, so yes, in the present moment, we're master of our domain. So it's the only time we can control. The past has already happened. The future has not happened yet. So all we have is right here and right now. And that's living. You know, it's life is now kind of uh, thinking about that. Because like I said earlier, like people are very worried about the future or reminiscing about the past, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's sort of nostalgic. You're allowed to be nostalgic. It's just this idea of when people try to control an outcome, the only thing we control is right here. And there's limited things in which we can control. We can't control people <laughs> ever. Right. We can only control certain things um, in the moment, like our breath to, to some degree, how we're breathing. And also, <laughs> how we breathe, right? We just automatically breathe. But what we eat... He's referring to my breathing in the microphone, which, which I'm, yes, you are, and that's okay. That is a subliminal no. message. No, it's not you just reminding me not to breathe in the microphone. Um, meditation and mindfulness is all about noticing your breath and controlling your breath. Uh, so that was where I was going with it. Okay, um, the second quote, do not dwell in the past, do not dream of the future. Concentrate the mind on the present moment. And that's by this guy by the name of He's only got one name, like Prince. You know, he's like, Butter. I don't know who he is. Butter. You ever heard Butter? Oh, God. I think he's famous. But the, the, there's, there's a few of these guys. He spells his name. It's like B-U-D, like Bud. Right. And then there's Ha. Oh. There's an extra D there. It's like Bud the Ha. Now, what does he say? Buddha. Oh, I've heard of him. Yeah, Buddha. And by the way, there isn't just one. You know that, right? Like, there's not just one Buddha. Right. It's like, you know. It's like, there's a new Buddha was born and all that stuff. So, so it depends on which Buddha. Who is the OG Buddha? Oh my God. I forget. Okay. That was that makes me more, that I'm more curious about, about Buddhism. Original as in like thousands and thousands of years ago, right? Right. You know. And so, so Buddhism, was that the faith that focuses on or preaches life is suffering? Right, so acceptance commitment therapy is a culmination that probably has a show on that I'm also passionate about that act. It's called ACT, by the way, not ACT. So it is rooted in Buddhism, and that is, yeah, acceptance of life is suffering and threads in mindfulness and meditation. That's probably a theoretical model, too. Okay. All right. Cool. So those are our quotes for today. Okay, so now it's time for our Q&A portion of the show. All right. We have some cues. Yes, I do. And today's Q&A is brought to you by, oh, that's right. We don't have any sponsors other than Inner Balance, so this can be your business. You know, place your business here. Just plant the seed. All right. Shameless plug. So, number one, mindfulness and meditation. Mm-hmm. Exactly what is it? Well, I would say that, well, at least with mindfulness, right? So, mindfulness is noticing your thoughts, feelings, and physical sensations in the present moment without judgment in as many moments as possible. So, mindfulness is a practice, like I said before, and it is considered an informal practice. Meditation is considered a formal practice. So you're sitting still, you're taking time out, prescribed amount of time to sit with your thoughts, feelings, and breath, basically. Different types of meditation, which is guided meditation, and then there's non-guided, it's just music. So difference between the two. 
Mindfulness can be done all throughout the day. It can be a habit that you are already doing and you bring mindfulness to it. So like I said before, using all your five senses, and it's this idea of paying attention on purpose because we go throughout the day and miss so many things. The colors in the room, the sounds, how we're breathing, the sensation of our body on the chair or with our shoes or how we're walking. Also just maybe smells that we miss. So there's a lot of different mindfulness practices that we can incorporate into our day. Pretty much the different things. So one doesn't necessarily need the other. You can, right. but, but they do complement each other well. Absolutely. Yep. Next question, number two. What's your experience on mindfulness and meditation, your background? Well, one of the reasons I'm really passionate about it because I've been doing yoga, you know, on and off in my, since I was in my twenties. And part of the uh, yoga practice at the end is meditation practice, which is called shavasana. So I've been doing that on and off throughout my life. I've gone going to acupuncture um, for the last ten years, and that's similar to meditation in a different, different way. And I was trained in mindfulness-based stress reduction. And I had to practice it myself for the eight-week course in order to teach it. I do offer it from time to time in Interbalance as well for adults and for teens. So I have my own practice as well. So between my personal practice and my professional teaching, I would say that I have a, a good understanding of it. Okay. Mindfulness and meditation, how long have they been around? And what do you know about their origins? And meditation, I'm sure we're going way back. Oh, yeah. Meditation is an ancient practice that was believed to have originated in India several thousands of years ago. And then other countries have picked up on the practice as well to Buddhism. And honestly, it's even been noted in the Bible. So even okay. back to biblical times, each religion has a form of meditation. So that's one of the nice things about religions. There's some commonality. See that? Yeah, instead of differences between all of them. It's just refreshing when that happens. And it's like, okay, everybody, you guys all have this in common. So let's all play nice. Yeah, so like in Catholicism, there's a rosary being saying prayer. That's a form of meditation with malas as well and Indian culture. So, and Muslim. So lots of different um, practices that it's been around forever. It's more popular. So it's been, all right, so it's been around forever, but, well, meditation. So how long has mindfulness meditation been popular in the United States, roughly? I guess back in the 80s and 90s, it actually became popular with transcendental meditation. In 1974, I had mentioned to you about mindfulness-based stress reduction. That was actually formed by John Kabat-Zinn, which was the man that I quoted. Okay. He developed MBSR in Massachusetts, I think, General Hospital. And it was invented by him in order to help people reduce stress when they had pain disorders. So he created this eight-week program, and it's still popular today. And that is the training I had as well. And what else happened was, I want to say, maybe in the 90s or 2000s, I have to look for sure, it started becoming very commercialized in the U.S., same thing with yoga. No. U.S. Really? Capitalizes on things. Oh my gosh. Whatever, right? So celebrities started naming it. Talking, especially Madonna, you know, was really into it. Matthew McConaughey is into it. So people started practicing it. And then I think this is ridiculous, but maybe other people don't. Mindful meanings on the shelf in Whole Foods. I'm like, oh my gosh, really? Okay. So I just think it's become saturated and you know, and it loses its... Where do you see the mindful mandates? Are there Whole Foods on the shelf? Is there Whole Foods? Okay, have, you, sure. have you tried it? No. no. Hey, hey, hey. No. I'm going to try it now. I, You're actually... Uh, see if it works. You have to eat it mindfully. There's, a, there's actually mindful eating practices in the MBSR course. It's generally not mayonnaise. It's usually chocolate or a golden raisin. But you just see it saturated. You hear it in people's vernacular. <laughs> oh, I'm so mindful about that. I'm mindful and mindful and mindful. So it's just overused. And I just think just like yoga, it has become very Americanized. 
as opposed to rooted in the tradition. Like, I'll try it, and then our next show I might have North to South, Mind the Mayonnaise, overrated. Yeah, or we'll just do mindful practice of eating, and then you can tell me what you experience with your mayonnaise. So. That's from Matthew McConaughey, just in case he was listening. Yes. Just, just finish his book. Just finish his book. Yeah, I liked, I liked it a lot. Okay, so why is mindfulness and meditation important for people to practice? Mm-hmm. Why is it essential? All right, well, I wouldn't say it's like, oh my gosh, you've got to take your vitamins, but it is kind of like a daily dose of vitamins. Another reason why it got popular in the U.S., by the way, is because it became substantiated by scientific research with fMRI studies, functional MRIs seeing different brain activities when people meditated before and after, kind of, you know, compare and contrast. And then, magically in the U.S., it's now a thing because science is behind it. Even though the Buddhist monks have been doing it and have been knowing that it's a thing and it's popular and that it's helpful for lots of disorders. So it's shown in studies to be beneficial for healthy adults, adolescents, and children for lots of different diagnoses, for pain disorders, for GI distress like irritable bowel, for depression, for anxiety. And the cool thing about it is that it actually can change brain activity. And the way in which it does that, it slows down your breathing, it helps you slow down your experience of time, and it reduces cortisol, which is the stress hormone. So the less, you know, stress hormone you have, the less stressed you are. And like I said, there were uh, studies in 2012 that had shown the before and after effects. It also affects a different area of the brain called the amygdala. And we also increase gray matter in the brain, which helps for concentration and focusing. So there's this term called neuroplasticity, which means that our brain can always be flexible and ever-changing, which is pretty cool. So I would say those are pretty good odds. Yeah. I'd say yeah. reasons to practice. You, you don't really have much to lose. That's a good list. By helping your brain be better. And finally, how often would you suggest people try this practice, say, per week or even per day? Okay. So the mindfulness-based stress reduction protocol is every day for 45 minutes. Now, that is not reasonable for people. Right. I would say for the formal practice, as many times as you can, definitely mindfulness. Like I said, you can attach it to habits such as brushing your teeth, walking your dog, eating, like we talked about before. could be driving in a car. I often like to do that. And just be mindful in the moment, noticing what I'm feeling, noticing what I'm hearing. So it's bringing it to an already established habit, which is easier. So I would say there isn't a prescribed should. You should do it once a day or twice a day. That in many moments, I should but you're saying if you can find the time or, or you know what I like to say make the time because I make the time because there's so many things in our lives whatever you attach yourself to that makes you happy like my therapy is going to the gym and I can make time 30 minutes to 45 minutes a day and when I do that I feel great and so and if I were practicing this and like wow this really does make a difference I'm going to make the time mm-hmm. because I'm worth it yeah exactly and then we have all the benefits of that because of it but people, you know, don't think of it as a priority. Um, they think of it more so. Is it true? It shouldn't be. It should never, right? Is that, is that how they maybe think of it? Uh-huh. And that's not, yeah. right, you're not the right mindset. Like I have to, or I should do this. Right. Society says so. It's good now I have to do my mindfulness. Okay. Like, what else is here? It's like, no, no, this is, right. this is for you. Kind of like your medication, your vitamins every day. Right. You're sleeping, you're eating healthy. It's kind of in there. So do you have any more questions? Or? No, that's it. I'm a, a six-pack of questions. I normally average around six. Yeah. Well, what we're going to do today with our game okay. is a myth or truth game. Right. So since, you know, I'm not very well astute in this topic, we thought that we would flip the script and Dr. Ratho would do the game. Uh-huh. Based off of the crash course on mindfulness that, I, that, that we all took together this episode, we can play along. Okay, Dr. Ruff, you can explain the game. All right, so by the way, uh, Anthony has not seen any of these questions before our recording today, so this is all authentic. Okay. All right, so myth or truth? Okay. One, 
Meditation is difficult. <sighs> uh, I'm going to say that's a myth. Right. A lot of times, yes, it is a myth. It, is it depends not, on the individual. Well, right. It depends on the individual. And also, we kind of go back to expectation. What are you expecting to happen? It isn't. And it's seen, again, when you picture it, maybe an image thought pops into your mind as a Buddhist monk on the hill meditating and so zen and all that stuff. Really, it isn't that difficult. And people have a lot of attached um, expectation to the results and the outcome of it. So it really isn't. What's difficult about it is the sitting, just sitting and making the time for it. So. Well, and you have, to, you have to buy into it and have an open mind. Yeah. If you don't have that, anything's difficult. Right. And I've had patients even in the class when they teach it say to me, oh, I'm just not good at this. And I'm like, well, <laughs> there is no really good at it. You know, right. like attaching those expectations and it's black and white labeling, right and wrong, and not doing it right. And so we have to go through those uh, myths. Okay. Uh, and truths. Okay. Very good. You're one for one. One for one. Nice. Hopefully everybody else is one for one as well. <laughs> All of our listening audience. Yes. Number two, meditation is calm and relaxing. I would say that is a truth. Mm, no. Meditation is not calm and relaxing? No How do you say? How do I say? Okay. So the reason for that is it is actually kind of, it's form of exposure therapy. So you're sitting still with your thoughts, feelings, and, you know, all these things that you may have been distracted to not notice throughout the day. And in order to be calm and relaxed, sometimes with certain people, it takes a while to practice that. Other times you could have a day where it's not as calm and relaxing. So it is a possibility to feel calm and relaxed. But it's not an absolute. No, and people will give up after one time. Like I'll ask them, okay, so how was your practice? Well, I did it for 10 minutes and I wasn't relaxed. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> you know what that means? You're doing it right. <laughs> that means you're sitting still. Did you sit still? Yes. Did you notice your thoughts? Yes. Okay. So that's exactly what you want to do. It isn't the Zen state. Um, initially, if you're lucky, you know, you can get up to that point. Even with myself, there's some days in my mind, it isn't calm and relaxing. My mind's all over the place. But you have to accept that that's the experience. That's the meditation practice. And it's still good. It's still, you know. Yeah, it's still taking time. You leave, you're getting somewhere. You're, it's, it's the journey. Right. And too often, people just, they want the quick fix. They want. You get gratification. Right. Let me take that pill to feel better with anxiety sure. instead of doing exposure and response prevention. You know? Well, you know, it's like we've all heard this before from somebody, and if you have it, you should have the hard work that that's involved, and then of course, at the end result is going to be better than anything else. So anything that's worthwhile is, is there's hard work involved. And I think it's also cultural where it shows, you know, like it, like people just really calm and you know, meditating and all these great benefits of it. So it's very misleading because no one really talks about maybe their journey to get to that point right. or the hard work they had to do to get to that point. Right. It's new to them. So they might be a little bit resistant if they're not, you know, they just need that reassurance that like from you or somebody who knows what they're talking about. Right, to correct their thinking traps. Yeah. Right, because I can be spelled. I'm not feeling better. Okay, screw this. And that's that. Right, and then it's this unex- you know, unrealistic expectation and then an interfering belief of a should. No. Okay. So good. All right. One for one. You got one for one? Yeah, one for two. 50% is not bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, some things it's not bad. Mm-hmm. All right. Meditation can change activity in the brain. Truth. Right. Good. I gave that away because I was talking about before how it does change brain activity, right. increases brain matter, changes in the amygdala. Okay. So that one was easy. So all these questions part of the show, and like if I was paying really close attention, it's like it's like how it's like, oh, like it's like you know, it's like you know in class if I show a video and then I have like eight questions and if you were paying attention to the video you get it all. That was definitely one. Okay. Yeah, probably that one. Yeah, yeah that one. Okay. All right, number four. I have seven. Okay, so World Series. Okay, so I'm I'm up to the one. You have to be an adult to practice mindfulness and meditation. Okay, anytime I hear have to, 
keywords. It's like the test taker means like always, yeah. have to. Yeah. Like, mm, that's, yeah, that's pretty extreme. So I'm going to say Yes. Yeah. Children can practice mindfulness. And in fact, my colleague and I went into a Sunday school to teach children mindfulness. It was very fun. And there are lots of apps on meditation and mindfulness. Headspace is one of them. Calm is another one. Was one specifically for kids. And I'll tell you, kids are naturally in the moment when they play. Yes, they are. When they play, you know, they are really much better at us at being in the moment. And in their imaginative play, they're fantastic at it. So they actually kind of like a learning language. They can pick up on it earlier in life, which I recommend, you know, kids, especially if they have anxiety, to really learn to cultivate mindfulness. And if they can sit still, I mean, you don't want five-year-olds to sit still, you know, it's kind of like... Maybe a little too early, maybe with seven, eight, nine, be a better age. What age would you... Yeah, I'd say at least seven, because, you know, developmental, they're in a cognitive space where they can be more open to it and be able to practice it, you know, but even just starting the language of it at a younger age okay. really seems great for kids. Okay, what is baby steps? So it's, you know, like watering it down, but just introducing them to it. senses is great because even with a four and five year old, hey, Johnny, what do you notice about this plant? Mm-hmm. You know, this tissue box. What do you notice as you look in your lucky charms? What colors do you see? As you brush your teeth, what are you doing properly? What do you notice about the toothpaste and how does it taste? So you can really start to ask those questions to a child, which, um, you know, starts the process early on. Okay, number five. Meditation is about not thinking and quieting the mind. That's a myth. Yes. So you know what happens when we don't think? What? We're dead. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say we're, we're not alive, but I'm like, no, I can't be it. And this is the number one myth about meditation. It's the cause of many people getting up in frustration. Meditation is not about stopping our thoughts and trying to empty the mind. It is about noticing our thoughts. So if I say to you in a classic experiment, Anthony, do not think of a white elephant. Who do you think of? I'm thinking of a bunch of white elephants. Or a pink one, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it's still an elephant because the, the, you put that out there. Right. We can't impose quiet on our mind. And again, this is what it is that you start to learn to notice and become an observer of your thoughts. And it takes some practice to get there. Noticing, like I said, without judgment of thoughts that pop into your mind. So that is the number one myth in the mindfulness and meditation. Um, and people, you know, like I said, they're exposing to their thoughts and they get freaked out by these thoughts that pop into their mind. Thoughts are just thoughts. Mm-hmm. You don't have to attach to them. All right. I guess it matters, like, which king said something or queen or president. It kind of is relative. Yeah, I mean, you know, I always have debates on who the best presidents are, who the best kings were. So it's like, this is the best Buddha ever, and this is why. Right. Because he said this. Yes. He gets the rest were all. I mean, that one was, that's overrated. This one, you know, didn't even, I don't even know if he even said anything. Yeah. Rest of them was the worst. Or, or the later Buddhas get credit for the earlier Buddhas. Right. You know, yeah. the coattails of the earlier Well, Buddhas. that's just, if they plagiarize that, then that's bad karma. <laughs> that could be bad karma. Nah. Funny. Okay. All right, we go. 3-1, I love the World Series, but we still have two more questions. So let's go. It takes years of meditation practice to get benefits from practicing it. I don't think you would have more, I mean, it's more beneficial, five years compared to one year, but it's not necessary, so I'm going to say myth. Mm-hmm. You are correct. Yay! Okay, good. All right, so, again, like, the process of just sitting still is beneficial to our nervous system. It helps calm it down, just noticing our thoughts. So the benefits are both immediate and long-term. You can begin to experience the benefits the first time you sit down to meditate and in the first few days. Many scientific studies show evidence that it has profound effects on the mind-body connection within just weeks of practicing, and I definitely experienced that. Now, remember, I did 45 minutes every day, but I totally noticed an effect 
um, you know, on week eight, even week two versus week one. And there was a hallmark study at Harvard and Mass Gen that in as little as eight weeks of meditation, it helped people decrease anxiety and depression and feel greater senses of calm. So again, a myth with no, I don't have, I, you know, I have to do it for a long period of time. Big steps, you gotta start small. Just like the you got to walk before you can crawl. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, so reverse that. Yeah. All right. Ready for the last? Let's go. Final question. You need to have enough time to meditate. Enough time. I don't know what. You need enough time. You make, you teach this. You need to make time to meditate. You need to have enough time for different people, people in different things, but whatever that enough amount is, is essential. So I'm going to say fact. So that one, as I'm thinking of it now with you, is a little bit of both. Ha. Uh, so okay. it's a, a little mix. Okay. I guess what I was going for is the myth of I don't have enough time to meditate. So people use it as an excuse. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you talking about before. I'm going to have to exercise. People don't make uh, meditation a practice. And if you make it a priority, I usually tell people to schedule it on their calendar. Try not to do it at night. People like to do it at night at the end of the day. But if you fall asleep, that's not meditation. That's falling asleep. It can help you fall asleep. But that is not actually meditating. So yay, glad you fell asleep. But no, that's not so- meditation. It could help you with falling asleep, which could be a bonus for some people. There are med- sleep meditations. There's yoga nidra, which is specifically for sleep. Right. But the one thing that's paradoxical, which maybe you'll agree with, uh, if we spend more time meditating on a regular basis, we actually have more time. When we meditate, we dip in and out of timelessness. And I experienced this. Time seems to slow down. Even though you're not really slowed down, your nervous system... Dr. Rafi, are you talking about what I think you're talking about? Are we talking about the quantum realm? <laughs> No, no, Ooh. no, I was very, oh, weird. okay. Oh, maybe, I don't know. Some of my maybe, maybe this nervous. is, maybe this is the way. So our breathing and heart rate slow down. And because of that, we experience time in a, you know, different way. And often people will uh, say, as, long as, as well as what I have experienced, just see things seem to slow down. Like making my coffee seems slower, you know? So it is, um, it's very experiential. It's hard to explain. But again, I try to encourage people, try it and make the time to if you're an athlete, this can be very, very beneficial. Meditation? Well, mm-hmm. time slowing down. Say if you're playing tennis, the ball is sitting there for you. You're just like, or if you're playing baseball or golf, or, well, the ball is sitting still for golf. <laughs> 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 that would be an interesting golf game. Actually, it already takes long for golf, 18 rounds of golf. All right, Tiger, can I get this ball? I'm going to have a new game. Or maybe it's, I think there's books written on, on that of athletes. You know what? I think maybe down the road, sports psychology. Can be a fun topic. Oh, sports psychology. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be I think I have a special guest on for that. I know somebody that's special. Oh, that'd be fun. And that's the thing that we're going to do sometimes have some guests just have to finagle that with time and everything. So. Okay. So, I, well, so, okay, so just so everybody understands my record, I was six and one. I wasn't kidding. I think I was six and one. If I'm wrong, please comment. Also, I will say this. As much as we enjoy thinking of, dreaming of, conjuring topics, we would love to hear from you, our, you know, our bevy of fans. There's millions and millions of you out there, and we'd love to hear from you. So if you can just let us know what you would like a show on, or if you want us to revisit a show that you liked, you have a couple questions and you want us to elaborate, feel free to contact us as well. And also know this, you will be the first request for a show. So there's always that. You can make history. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. Because we've gotten ideas from current patients, you know. And also we have a newsletter. 
that um, we're going to be putting out once a month. They're also going on social media. Sure. So if we did writing, it's official. Yeah, with our Gmail that we have. I think that's it for today. That's, that's, yeah. I learned a lot, but I know there's a lot more that I need to learn. And yes, I, I'm going to make time for more mindfulness in my life. And then we'll see how you feel in a few weeks. And I'm going to try this in one of my classes. I'm curious on how my students would. Oh, yeah, I can give you some exercise. No, absolutely. Yeah. Kids, especially high school kids, are pretty open to it. Yeah. And they probably need it. <laughs> yeah, after we wrestle the phones away from them to put them away, then we can maybe the, make some progress. So the MBSR that I use, um, the training that I had with this woman, Jean Beagle, she trained with John Cabot's and so it was like her, his disciples, so it was cool. And she created her own MBSRT, but you can use it for adults too, so it's the same program basically. And one of the exercises, even with adults, is put your phone away and sit and do a meditation and notice what it's like having your phone on your person versus not near you. Mm. It's super hard. Oh, yeah. Vacations. That's a whole other topic of how we tie to our electronics. Okay. All right. So thanks for listening to our show. Catch all of our episodes and more at www.innerbalancepsychology.com. Also, talktherapycbtgov.com. And like I said, our podcast is on all the major platforms, Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, and we have almost 500 downloads, which is really exciting for us. So you can email us if you have any questions at talktherapycbt at gmail.com. And remember to stop it and give yourself a chance.